I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mihaela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WYPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. My guest today is LaFontaine Oliver, who was appointed president and general manager of WIPR in 2019. His tenure has included the acquisition of WTMD Radio into the Your Public Radio corporate tent and a collaborative partnership with the Baltimore Banner. Those two initiatives have irrevocably changed the media landscape of this community. LaFontaine also served for six years on the NPR board, including two terms as chair of that board. In his work both nationally and here at our stations, LaFontaine has raised up diversity and equity as a central animating operating tenant. And as one of the few African Americans in senior leadership positions in the NPR system, he has served as a model and a mentor to public media professionals of color across the country. In a couple of weeks, LaFontaine Oliver will become the president and CEO of New York Public Radio, the largest public radio entity in the country. LaFontaine joins me today in Studio A for a kind of exit interview to reflect on his tenure and to look ahead to where public media is headed in the future. And you are welcome to join us as well. If you have a question or comment for our outgoing president and CEO, 410-662-8780, or email midday at wipr.org. And you can tweet us at midday. WIPR. LaFontaine joins me here in Studio A. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Tom. This is uh, the first time we've done this in the same studio in quite some time. It's yeah. good to be here with you. We It's been great uh, over your tenure here. We've had you on a couple times a year to you know sort of give folks a status report. Um, so first of all, congratulations on this job. This is a big darn deal. Uh, it's a huge, huge uh, public media presence uh, on the national scene. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, bittersweet for us because it's been great having you here. But um, what about this opportunity, you know, in particular resonates with you? Yeah, you're right, Tom. It is a, a huge opportunity. And I, I think the thing that resonates is that... Um, You know, New York Public Radio has been um, really at the forefront of a lot in uh, in public media. I mean, uh, early adopters in on demand audio and podcasts um, really um, uh, in the number one media market in the country, um, really growing the the significance of uh, local news and journalism and, 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 and changing our thinking about. Um, what it means to to serve diverse uh, communities um, are just a couple of the things, you know, uh, uh, some of the uh, national content that's being produced uh, and and distributed out uh, to the larger public media uh, system. So um, it's it's a uh, exciting and uh, but complicated uh, organization that um, um, I'm really excited about this opportunity, not something that uh, I ever 
uh, predicted would be in in my future, but uh, I'm excited to uh, to take that on. Well, when you were in Orlando, uh, the folks at WIPR came to you. You didn't come to them. You didn't apply for the job here, uh, and they said, "Would you apply for the job?" <laughs> and they sort of talked you into taking it. Um, and I suppose uh, one could say to you know to to paint a, a rotten picture uh, with you know bright yellow colors. Um, you know that we could we could look at say, well, you know, the success of WIPR WTMD is what led the folks in New York to come ask you to come up there. What do you think it was about what you have accomplished here at WIPR as well as WMFE in Orlando and you were also at WEAA? I mean, you've had these three stations over the past 15 years or so. Yeah. Um, what do you think, uh, you know, the, the, the standout uh, highlights of those tenures were that, that led them to want you to to come up there? You know, Tom, that's a really good question. I should probably uh, ask them that uh, directly, but but I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think um, when perhaps they looked at my, my body of work, so to speak, uh, across public media uh, and spanning into um, commercial uh, media, um, satellite radio, where I spent some time, and uh, I suspect they 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 saw you know someone who um, has um, had a track record of uh, making smart investments in the future, um, someone who's had a track record in in championing um, community engagement as an important part of the work that we do in public media, um, someone who has also been really really committed to. Um, ensuring that the work that we do is meeting the unique needs of our local community. And um, I don't know what combination of, of skills and uh, experience and background sort of uh, uh, um, added up to, to, to have them say, hey, he's the, the right person for, uh, for this, this job. But uh, I suspect that um, it was, uh, uh, I hope that, you know, it was, it was my body of work across what I've been able to do uh, in public media, um, as you mentioned, you know, just here in Baltimore with, you know, uh, my stand at WEAA and here at WYPR and, of course, with, with our, our uh, partnering up um, with WTMD, um, my time in Orlando at WMFE, and then also, you know, m- my time, you know, serving um, um, on the national level. Uh, uh, yeah, as, you were the chair of the board, board of directors. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for a couple terms. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, um, the the challenge is that at a place that's as big as uh, NPR or New York Public Radio, um, you have WNYC, the the channel. You know, um, you have uh, the classical music station WQXR. There's a news site called the Gothamist. Um, the, you have WNYC Studios, so those folks pr- produce all sorts of content that ends up in all sorts of places. And you've even got New Jersey Public Radio and a performance space, Yes, you know, a, a venue. Um, th- that kind of mix of things, um, op- there are some sort of obvious ways that you can you know, connect with your communities in those ways. Um, but connection to the community, you and I have talked about this a lot. You also talk about people um, should be encouraged to have active listening, you know, to, to, to be um, not passive. Um, what do you mean by that? What, 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 is the, what is the role of the listener in this bargain that we strike with them uh, every day? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great question, Tom. I think the the role in a lot of ways um on one level is is to hold us accountable to ensure that 
Um, we are presenting to them material that they find uh, valuable and, and enriching. Um, but beyond that, it is um, to help, um, you know, sort of hold that mirror up to us as an organization. Um, and then part of it really is, you know, the thing that we talk about um, that's so fundamental to um, just our system, which is that, you know, especially journalism, when you think about it, um, it, it, it has to be paid for by someone. And I think uh, many of us believe that when it's not paid for by the people who consume it, bad things happen. Um, and so part of the, the sort of contract that we have with listeners is that um, they're going to, to, to be an active part in funding um, the work that uh, that uh, they uh, they deem valuable uh, for our community. But that active listening part is, is really important because without that, um, we don't know that uh, the material that we are putting out every day is meeting the needs um, of our community. And that changes. Um, and we have to be, as organizations, willing to change, willing to, to, to listen to those things. Um, I often, you know, talk about sort of the, the difference between, you know, kind of, you know, community uh, uh, outreach and that being, you know, when you're looking to, to sort of change someone else. And then community engagement when you yourself are changed, because that means you are connecting with the community in such a way that it sort of creates that this feedback loop so that, um, you know, you are in partnership with the community and you are allowing that that uh, that listening process to affect how you serve that community. And for folks in the community who would like to connect with LaFontaine Oliver, he's got a couple more weeks left as the president and CEO of your public radio corporation. You can call us today here at midday, 410-662-8780. You can email us midday at WIPR.org. You can tweet us at midday WIPR. Um, you know, when it comes to listeners and listener engagement, listener support, you know, all of that's very important. Let me ask you to respond to the lead of a column in the Wall Street Journal earlier this year by a guy named James Freeman, who says, in an age of media abundance, U.S. taxpayers are for some reason being forced to fund a news outlet that's at least as irresponsible as its private competitors. National Public Radio. Ooh. So that's that's some heavy <laughs> stuff. Because Mr. Freeman is saying, well, first of all, everybody's wrong. Everybody's everybody's bad. And National Public Radio is no better. Um, but U.S. taxpayers are being forced to fund a public news outlet. What's the case for public media in this landscape of, you know, a very crowded commercial media thing? Yeah, I think the case is very similar to the case that was made some 50 years ago, a little over 50 years ago when the Public Broadcasting Act uh, was passed. And, and they talked about the fact that there um, there was a market failure. And at the time, interestingly enough, the, the market failure that they were referring to was in television um, in commercial television. And, and in fact, if you go back and, and read some of the language, um, they talk about the fact that uh, that commercial television at the time was, quote, a, a vast wasteland um, and that something needed to be done um, in order to, to sort of deal with that market failure and, and to ensure that the um, the public airways were being used um, to to enrich um, the community. In fact, it, it talks about, um, you know, enriching man's spirit. I would argue that the market failure today um, is actually in local news and journalism. 
And um, I think we talk quite a bit about how important it is, um, in particular when you talk about local journalism, to a functioning society, um, to making sure that we have an informed citizenry. And um, that's the market failure today. And to me, that is the 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 um, the ultimate um, sort of proposition for why the federal appropriation. So that's what what um, he's referring to there, which, um, you know, uh, taxpayers um, through the federal appropriation uh, funding comes through the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Um, but where folks sometimes get tripped up or they misunderstand is that that doesn't go um, directly to NPR. That comes to local community organizations like your public radio um, uh, to help fund uh, a portion of the operations. And, you know, we've talked about this before and we, you hear us during pledge drives talk about the fact that, you know, for us, that's, you know, about six and a half percent of our budget. Um could we survive without it? Probably. I think I'd like to think we would find a way to do so. But that's an important part of our, our budget mix. And um, I believe that um, having that federal appropriation uh, go to support um, local community organizations that are um, in the communities and trying to provide not only the type of news and information, but cultural programming, arts programming, um, music, um, those are the sorts of things that, you know, I think the act talks about um, when it talks about enriching man's spirit. I, I think there's 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 definitely a strong case um, for why we should, you know, continue to have that appropriation. And I think when you when you when you look uh, when you look out more globally, um, it's actually minuscule compared to, you know, uh, many other countries and how um, they they fund uh, public broadcasting. And, of course, broadcasting is just really one part of what we're doing here. Podcasting is also another streaming you know, stuff is also another big uh, dimension of what's happening. One of the innovations that happened here was a show called The Daily Dose, which is on a little hiatus now, but it's, gonna, it's on its way back soon um, in conjunction with folks at our partners at the Baltimore Banner. But um, you, you thought that that was a really important thing to start up uh, in the middle of COVID. You and our executive director of news, Danielle Irby, uh, invented that. Um, that's another way to connect to the community. And, and, and what role do you see the non-broadcast dimension of public media taking moving forward? Yeah, and I would say about that that particular initiative in in general. Um, I can I can also trace, you know, sort of the reasoning to that. You know, back to sort of the public broadcasting act when it talked about, um, you know. Um, the fact that part of what our responsibility is, is to act in the convenience and the necessity of the community. And I would argue that when you find yourself in a pandemic and there is uh, fast changing information about um, how we stay safe, um, quite honestly, how we stay alive, um, standing up both our broadcast capabilities and our on demand capabilities in order to keep the community uh, informed and to bring them life-saving information. As I like to say, we, we were acting as first informers um, to yeah, provide this that. happened, you know, concurrent with the onset of COVID. Yeah. And so that, that is, um, that is really important. And, and beyond just that particular uh, initiative, um, the, the on-demand audio space and the podcast space uh, is, is going to continue, I believe, to extend 
um, our broadcast brands into the homes and automobiles and workplaces and mobile devices and computers um, of uh, not only this generation, but the next few generations of folks who are going to interact with public media content. It's, a, it's about the larger strategy to meet audiences uh, where they are um, on whatever platforms they may roam. Um, and that's the, the beauty of, of what we're able to do is sort of take our expertise in audio um, in live audio and, and to put it into the, the podcast space. And I think that's going to continue to be a big part of what we do here. We've got, um, you know, uh, um, a wonderful podcast in uh, the Maryland Curiosity Bureau um, uh, that uh, Aaron Hankin launched here that um, we're actually doing uh, a number of those episodes in conjunction with our partners at the Banner Um that that is going those those sorts of initiatives, I think, are going to continue to be important to how we serve our communities going forward and also how we um, uh, discover and how we uh, we shine a light on, on new new voices and, and new talent. Yeah. And it's interesting. And it's been the case for a while that NPR has actually derived more sponsorship revenue from podcasts than from its regular broadcast news shows. So in terms of the, the ledger uh, at the end of the year, uh, it's certainly being affected by, by the streaming stuff. It is. And, and, and I would also just say that many of us are embracing sort of what we're calling a pod to broad strategy where we're able to now incubate new content in the on-demand space in ways that um, it's much more difficult to do and broadcast and then migrate those things over. And sometimes you see things move from one end to the other, from pod to broad or from broad to pod. Um, but it, it, it offers us uh, additional opportunities to meet audiences where they are. LaFontaine Oliver is the president and CEO of the Your Public Radio Corporation, which includes WIPR and WTMD. We also have a partnership agreement with the Baltimore Banner. We're going to talk about those partnership agreements on the other side of a quick break. You are welcome to join us when we come back. 410-662-8780. Our email midday at WIPR.org. You can tweet us at midday. WIPR. You can follow me on Twitter at Tom Hall. WIPR. Stick around. This is 88.1 WIPR, where you're listening to Midday. I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mihaela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WIPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. Welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up tomorrow, the author and legal scholar Kim Whaley will join me. She's a visiting professor at American University, and she's going to explain what we need to know about the long-awaited report from the January 6th Special Committee and what's next in the legal saga of Donald Trump, that report due to be released today. I'll also speak with the humorist and sports columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Jason Gay. He's a Baltimore guy. He lives here, and he's got a new book called I Wouldn't Do That If I Were Me. And our theater critic, Jay Wynn Russick, will review the new show at Baltimore's Everyman Theater. It's called Ken Ludwig's Bat. Baskerville, 
a Sherlock Holmes mystery. So all that's on the way tomorrow. And if you've just joined us today, my guest is LaFontaine Oliver. At the end of this month, he will leave WYPR and WTMD to become the president and CEO of New York Public Radio. If you have a question or a comment for LaFontaine, 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wypr.org. To tweet us, it's at midday. WIPR. So let's talk about our sister station, WTMD. Um, this is, a, you know, a big part of your legacy, to be sure, the fact that you um, scooped it up when it went on the market. Why was it important to add WTMD to the Your Public Radio corporate tent? WTMD is um, a community jewel. Um, it is, um, there's not a, another station like it in our market. And um, many of us thought that it would be an absolute shame for that uh, station and that format uh, to no longer exist. Um, what it uh, means as far as both music discovery, um, what it means as far as um, exposure for local artists and musicians um, was just really important. And um, we also recognize that, you know, Part of being a leader in public media is being a leader and stepping up when your community needs you. And I think um, this was an example of a time where the community needed someone to step up um, and to play a leadership role. And, and I'm happy that we were we were able um, to do that. Um, there are all sorts of other reasons why I think that was also important when you look out in the public media landscape, um, whether it's uh, classical music stations. Um, we still have um, some jazz stations, um, uh, AAA music discovery stations, um, uh, sort of bringing those together with the NPR news um, uh, station in a market really offers a, a powerful one-two punch and, and allows us to, um, as I like to say, begin to serve the whole person um, and, and also bec um, to, to become more relevant in more aspects of the lives of more people in your community through, um, through your service. And so the, the TMD um, uh, opportunity was, was one that um, many of us thought um, aligned with uh, our goals to continue to be a leader locally in the public media space. And um, I'm really happy. I'm really excited about the work that's happening, um, not just at TMD, WTMD, but um, across WTMD and YPR, some of the cross promotion that's now taking place, um, some of the uh, talented folks on both sides of, of the aisle that are now sort of working um, in expanded roles um, to provide um, um, synergies and uh, yeah, the midday team was up there just last Friday. We uh, did yep. our live broadcast uh, with our good friends Helicon and some wonderful music in that beautiful performance studio that they have. I mean, so there's lots of opportunities for the two stations to cooperate. And people have to keep in mind, had WIPR not bought it, somebody else would have and they would have changed the format. Yeah. I mean, there's almost no chance that another buyer was going to you know, maintain the format, but you committed to doing that. And you came in with less money than some of those other offers. So you had to make the, the case on sort of moral, philosophical grounds. It wasn't just a financial deal. Yeah, and I would also just give a lot of credit, um, you know, to Towson University because they, they, they saw that. They understood that. They understood um, the important role that WTMD played in the community. And, and they were just phenomenal partners, and they were great to work with in that process in doing something um, that 
ultimately, I think the entire community is going to benefit from, which is bringing the AAA Music Discovery Station together with the NPR News Station so that we can find synergies, we can find ways um, to to work together and then um, build something bigger and stronger here in service of the folks here in Baltimore. When you get uh, conglomeration, uh, you also often get uh, folks losing their jobs because there's duplication. Um, how do you assess what's happened so far in terms of the the integration of the two uh, stations? Obviously, the formats are, are different. So when it comes to on-air people, there you know we're all different, doing different things. But behind the scenes, there was some duplication. I mean, that's never easy. Um, how has it gone so far? Yeah, it's actually gone really well. Um, we didn't have a lot of, of duplication. And so there's been very, very little staff uh, turnover. Um, and in fact, one of the things that, that I'm most uh, uh, proudest of is that we've been able to find, I think, uh, greater opportunities for talented people to um, to grow their careers um, with roles now across the two stations and the two uh, formats. And we've also been able to provide opportunities for folks who may have been underutilized in, in certain areas. Um, and so I would say it is it's it's going um uh, very well. And we've been able to now stand up a, a new marketing department. Um, we've been able to to merge uh, uh, our development efforts. We've been able to merge efforts around uh, sponsorship sales and traffic and continuity and um, a number of other areas, engineering, um, such that um, it's a net gain, I think, on on both stations. So it's 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 going very well. We just uh, completed a, a, a pretty deep dive um, uh, a research project to uh, really get at uh, what the community wants from WTMD. And I'm excited to, to hear and see uh, that uh, research uh, get implemented to uh, to help uh, boost the station even more. Let's go to Casey, who's on the line in Baltimore. Casey, welcome to Midday with LaFontaine Oliver. Hi, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. LaFontaine, I wish you much success. Um, you were definitely, you know, missed over at WEAA when I was doing business over there. You worked really well with a lot of the small businesses in the area, which, you know, gave us a lot of um, the success that I have here at my business. So I really do appreciate that, and I wish you much success moving forward to New York. Casey, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And you you are um, right. Our small businesses are just a really, really important part of uh, our local communities. And uh, that that's another part of the special sauce, I think, of what we, we do well in uh, in public media is that, you know, we offer uh, unique opportunities to, to work with our local uh, small businesses uh, in ways that uh, I think create value for those businesses and, and, and also, you know, for us as organizations. So, so thank you, Casey. Yeah, thank you, Casey. And Casey, give a shout out to your business. What, uh, what business are you in? Nope, Casey is back to work. That's a, <laughs> so that's we, a good businessman. That's a good, good <laughs> business person. He is uh, on the job. Um, we're going to take a little break. 
Uh, and we will come back and talk more with LaFontaine Oliver. He is about to become the president and CEO of New York Public Radio after a very eventful three-plus year tenure as president of your public radio corporation and the general manager here at WIPR. So we will have more with LaFontaine at 410-662-8780 if you want to join our conversation. Our email is midday at wipr.org. You can tweet us at midday WIPR. It's my custom on this program to take some time near the end of the year to remember briefly some of the people in our local area who have passed away during the year. This is by no means an exhaustive list. I simply want to mention a few of the people in the area who I was blessed to know and who our community was blessed to have. Alan Weir, a talented cellist, died in February. He was the director of Pro Musica Rara, a wonderful ensemble that specializes in what's called early music in classical circles. Alan Weir was 64 years old. Lois Feinblatt lived a long and amazing life, a generous philanthropist to a wide range of causes. In the 1960s, Lois answered an ad from Johns Hopkins looking for happily married housewives to train as therapists. She went on to have a 30-year career as a sex therapist in the Hopkins Sex and Gender Clinic. She continued seeing clients into her 90s. She died in February at the age of 100. Two months later, her dear friend and sex therapist colleague Ellen Halley also passed away at the age of 95. The world of church music lost two of its most beloved practitioners this year. Bruce Eicher, who served Grace United Methodist Church as organist and choir master for more than 50 years, passed away in June. He was 90 years old. Michael Britt, the minister of music at Brown Memorial Church in Bolton Hill, died suddenly in August at the age of 61. Both of these wonderful artists were highly respected as inventive, imaginative, and masterful players, and both were beloved as warm and generous colleagues and friends. Wayne Schaumburg taught public school for many years, but it was as a tour guide at Greenmount Cemetery that I and countless others met him. His Saturday morning tours were a popular fixture on the cultural scene of Baltimore since he began offering them in 1985. Wayne Schaumburg was 75 years old. In September, Nancy Brennan passed away at the age of 73. A museum curator and activist, Nancy was the director of the City Life Museums here in Baltimore, and she headed several other institutions around the country. She was a passionate advocate for the arts in Baltimore and beyond, and a tenacious soldier in the fight for social justice. Tom McCarthy was a farmer from the Eastern Shore whose clientele lined up weekly for the incredible strawberries, asparagus, and beans that for decades he brought to the Waverly and downtown farmers markets. My week was never complete without checking in with Tommy to see what was on his mind and what was in his coolers. He suffered a heart attack early one morning at the end of September as he prepared to come to the Waverly Market. 
Tom McCarthy was 86 years old. Elizabeth Schaff, the archivist at the Peabody Institute and the author of A Great History of Music in Baltimore, and Harriet Lynn, a dancer, singer, and arts advocate, both passed away in October. Liz was 81 years old. Harriet was 77. Their contributions to the cultural vitality of our community were sustained and substantial. And last weekend, a few of us were honored to participate in a memorial service for Don McPherson, a successful corporate lawyer who for years volunteered to help those in need. He was 81 when he passed away earlier this month. Don was a lover of music and the humanities, an intellectually curious seeker of wisdom and wonder, and simply one of the nicest people anyone could hope to know. For the blessing of knowing all of these bright lights of our community, I am grateful for what they have meant to me and to the city they enlivened so wonderfully. May they rest in peace. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is your public radio, 88.1 WIPR. And welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you've just joined us, my guest is LaFontaine Oliver, the general manager of WIPR. He was appointed to lead our station in 2019. In 2021, he brokered the acquisition of WTMD into the Your Public Radio Corporation. In May of this year, he entered WIPR into a joint operating agreement with the Baltimore Banner. Before he became the president and general manager of WIPR, he led WMFE in Orlando, Florida. Prior to that, he was the general manager of WEAA at Morgan State University here in Baltimore. He also served for six years on the board of directors of NPR, including two terms as chair. And next month, he will become the president and CEO of New York Public Radio, the country's largest public media system. We've invited LaFontaine to be with us today on Midday as a kind of exit interview to give him our and our listeners a chance to reflect on his very busy and impactful tenure. To join us, we're at 410-662-8780, our email midday at wipr.org. You can tweet us at Midday. WIPR. Uh, let's go to Milton, who's on the phone in Edgewood. Welcome to Midday with LaFontaine Oliver. Well, thanks again, Tom, and, and uh, Mr. LaFontaine Oliver. I just can't call you Mr. Oliver. With a name like LaFontaine Oliver, i got to do the whole thing. <laughs> Look, it just seems like yesterday that I welcomed you to the hood. And doggone it, these three years, roughly, have gone by like a wind gust or something like that. <laughs> and Little did I know, you, you begin to, with, with, as I hear your body of work, which I didn't know, I thought you were new when I said welcome to the hood, but I realized that I'm the one who's new to you. you you've been around. And I want to say I appreciate all your, you know, your body of work, and we're going to miss you. Glad to have you, have you around for the time we did. And 
You remind me of the Lone Ranger. Like, who was that guy? That guy with the mask. You know what I mean? I, I didn't. I didn't know who you were. But now you're going to New York, and I'm like, hey, look out, New Yorkers! Here comes La Fontaine, La Fontaine Oliver, break a leg, and Valya uh, uh, Condios. Thank you so much. I uh, <laughs> I appreciate that, and uh, I I would just say that uh, Baltimore will continue to be a, a big slice of home for us. So thank you. Uh, we have an anonymous caller who says, thanks for preserving WTMD by adding them to the WYPR family. We have an email from Jay, who's in Emmitsburg, who says, my endearing memory as a listener and sustainer was Mr. Oliver's voice as WYPR's highly successful pitch man during the COVID shutdown. He helped keep my window to the outside world open and excited me uh, to help in the effort. So Jay is a fan as well. Let's talk about the partnership with the Baltimore Banner, because that's another huge, huge impactful thing that is continuing to evolve. Um, uh, why is it important that this new news platform, uh, the Banner, be affiliated with us and vice versa? Yeah, it's it's important because of what we talked about earlier, that that market failure and um, the importance of having good, strong um, local news here in in Baltimore. And I think um, what you're seeing here is is um, our market um, um, as another example of what's happening nationally across the country where. Um, we are experimenting with new ways of serving audiences uh, news needs on uh, digital platforms. And, and we thought it important to be a, a part uh, of that. And there are, you know, more than a half a dozen examples of this, you know, across the country. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, what's happening at WBEZ in Chicago and um, the Chicago Sun-Times um, uh, more recently, uh, KERA in Dallas, um, uh, uh, linking up with the um, um, the Denton um, Record Chronicle. Uh, and so we thought it important to be a part of this. Um, the Baltimore Banner, uh, that organization, um, has a lot of excitement and tailwind behind them as they come into the market and, and try to stand up uh, a digital news operation that um, is going to be really impactful and our partnership uh, is going to uh, is uh, continuing to evolve and grow, and it's allowing us to work with them um, in some meaningful ways that um, hopefully the community will will benefit from long term. And the, again, the importance of local journalism um, can't be stressed. It's my own personal opinion that the banner. Uh, is doing really wonderful work. And, of course, we have a number of Banner reporters you know, here on Midday. Our series Midday in the Neighborhood we're doing in conjunction with the folks at the Banner. Um, but I think it's made the Baltimore Sun better. Mm. You know, I think I think that the, 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 the Baltimore Sun is, uh, is hustling, and they're also doing wonderful work, as is the Banner. We have the Baltimore Beat that has joined the scene, you know, just recently. Uh, we've got some other legacy papers, the the Afro and the Baltimore Brew. Um, you know, it just the more the merrier when it comes to local journalism, and we all can make each other better. Yeah, the presence of the Banner, I think, is is has certainly contributed to the local news and journalism ecosystem in in a positive way. Um, I forget what the term is, but there's a, there's a, a term for sort of the lead species in in an, an ecosystem, and and my hope is that you know combined YPR and 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 Banner will become sort of that that lead species. But you need um, you need all of these other folks as well, um, and you know quite honestly you need 
you know, uh, different business models to throw at this problem to sort of, you know, figure out um, how do you fund the type of news and information that's going to um, to serve our community um, in in ways that um, sort of the the commercial model has has failed us. Um, and so I'm I'm excited about and we'll be watching the progress of of the banner and and ypr and tmd and and how we are are working we've we've now even unlocked and and uncovered some ways that the banner and tmd can work together and so uh i'm excited about that and excited to to see um how these this initiative will will continue to um be impactful for the the citizens of baltimore what's your take on how the banner's doing uh after the first of the year i'm going to speak again with Stuart bainham the philanthropist behind the baltimore banner the ted Natulis Institute. Um, You know, any startup is, uh, you know, it's a risky proposition. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to to get things going. They have a wonderful team of reporters and editors uh, and a a really vibrant newsroom. They're doing great work editorially. But, um, you know, there's there's a business to run there. Um, You know, in these first few months, uh, what's your take on how it's going? Yeah, so I'm, I'm really impressed with what I'm seeing. And, um, you know, standing up any new startup of any kind is going to be difficult. Um, but uh, they have uh, they've made some really, really smart investments. And um, um, I think with the the advent of, of what we've been able to do um, here at WYPR and helping them um, as a bit of a springboard to get uh, uh, to get on on the radar of more folks, um, I think they are, are doing well with uh, attracting uh, and retaining sub- subscribers. Um, as you pointed out, I think, you know, we're seeing some really wonderful things happen um, on on the journalism side. And so I think they are off uh, to just a phenomenal start. And I'm really, really excited to to see um, to see what's what's next. Um, and, and, you know, we're we're uh, now imagining a uh, daily news podcast in partnership with them, which I think uh, could be really impactful as well. So uh, I think they're off to a really good start. The other thing that has changed dramatically around here, all for the very, very much the better, um, is the diversity of our staff. Uh, and I know you feel very strongly about making sure that we diversify our audience as well. Let's talk about the staff. Um, you and I uh, mentioned on some of your other trips to midday uh, an article that Celeste Headley wrote uh, for Current Magazine a year and a half ago. Um, and she said the most stubborn obstacle on the path to reform is well-meaning, well-intentioned folks who fight inequity wherever they see it, but can't see it when they're involved. Mm-hmm. And um, we we have now senior management here at WIPR that is largely African-American. We have more African-Americans on the staff than ever before. It has been lifted up uh, as a priority. Uh, economists call it... Um, uh, they call it cognitive diversity. And, you know, when you get past the cultural, the gender, the, you know, et cetera, diversity, you, you think better and you think differently when you're in a room of folks who are, you know, bringing all sorts of different things to the mix. Um, your thoughts uh, as, you, as you leave, um, your thoughts about where we've been in that regard and where we can still head. Yeah, Tom. So I, I'm I'm really pleased. I'm I'm really proud of the work that the that the staff um, has done here. I mean, this is this is difficult work um, trying to 
reshape organizations to reflect the diversity of the communities that they want to serve. And um, we've had some success, uh, but any organization that tells you they've arrived, that they've done it, um, I'd be leery of that because this is um, this is the sort of thing. This isn't a project. Um, this has to have a, a sustained effort. Um, it has to have vision. It has to have strategy. It has to have deliverables. And uh, and we've been able to to do some of that work. And uh, there's a lot more um, ahead for us. But I'm 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 really happy that um, we have an organization that is um, is starting uh, in a much more significant way to reflect the diversity of the community that um, that we serve. And um, you know there are a number of efforts that are underway with um, you know our internal group that's going to continue. Um, I think to to push the organization to realize um, more of um, you know more of these goals. Um, looking at everything from um, uh, source tracking to uh, training our staff um, to um, even looking at some of our through the lens of some of our research to find out you know are we talking to communities of color to find out what their news consumption needs are and how they see us and how we can show up more authentically and be more important to them and so um, there's a lot of work um, ahead um, but I am really really pleased with um, with what we've been able to uh, to accomplish thus far and in the course of your career I'm sure you have been to countless meetings when you are the only african-american in the room yes and, and of course and and do you see that changing in any significant way is that needle moving in the public media space because you of course bring a national perspective to this from your work on the npr board and your your work around the country i do i i i see um i see some movement there i see a, a lot more uh emphasis on um uh, attracting recruiting and retaining um, not just uh, um, diverse talent, but um, folks throughout um, the organizational structure. Um, and so, I, I again, a, a lot of work uh, to be done. But I, I, I am seeing um, seeing some movement there that that um, that makes me feel good about where we're going. Year and a half ago or so, um, we had uh, personalities on on air personalities like Lulu Garcia Navarro, uh, Noel King, Audie Cornish. They all left NPR. It looked for a while like there was this exodus from NPR of some of their most prominent on air people of color. Um, how do you assess the the situation at NPR now? Um, has has the ship been righted? Yeah, I don't. I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm in a position to assess the position at NPR, but what what I will say from having um, spent time with a lot of um, smart, thoughtful people at NPR that, um, you know, their CEO, John Lansing, has said over and over again that 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 this diversity thing is not a project. It is it is their North Star. It is central um, to to what they do. Um, I think we all realize that there's also a business imperative um, behind this work. And um, uh, I'm also um, encouraged by, you know, what I'm seeing as far as um, new uh, talent being developed and elevated on the national level. And, you know, I'm also seeing this happen at stations across the country, um, which is which is wonderful to see. Let me ask you a management question. You got us through COVID-19. 
uh, which is a huge management problem for everybody. There are listeners, you know, listening now, thinking about what's happened in their companies, in their businesses, in their lives. Um, interesting that in 2020, uh, WIPR had some of the highest listener ratings we've ever had uh, during the COVID pandemic. Um, so clearly, there was a need for information. There was a there was a yearning for that. But what did you learn as a manager? Uh, you're now going to take over an organization that's what ten times bigger than <laughs> than the current one, um, with lots and lots of employees, a huge budget. Um, as, as a manager, as a person uh, who I happen to know is very good managing people, because you're an excellent communicator to the staff uh, here at, at WIPR and TMD. But what, what do you think you'll take to New York in terms of uh, lessons from COVID? Wow, that's a that's a good question. Um, what I what I will tell you is I I'd, I'd, I'd like to sort of give give a nod to um, the fact that uh, when COVID hit, um, if it were not for the experience that I had at WMFE in Orlando, um, I don't know that we would have been able to pivot the way that we did. Um, you know, in Florida, you know, you've got hurricanes, and so there are times where you are either locked. Uh, out of or locked into your facilities and you have to, you know, figure out how to how to make things happen. And so I was able to pull on that experience quite a bit in order to quickly get us uh, to a point where we could uh, function at a really, really high level when I think the community needed us most, which is why, as you pointed out, we, we saw um, a high watermark for audience um, audience ratings. Um, but, um, you know, I think the thing I, I will probably take with me is that um, you've got to, you know, build a strong team. You've got to support that strong team. And sometimes that means the best way you can support them is get out of their way so they can run as far and fast um, as they can possibly uh, as they can as they possibly can. Well, LaFontaine, it has been a pleasure working with you, uh, working for you, occasionally having to work around you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we have enjoyed it, and we wish you all the best. You deserve all the best. Uh, You're a talented guy, and uh, I understand, we all understand why New York Public Radio uh, wants to have you, and uh, we look forward to staying in touch. Thank you, Tom. I look forward to it as well. LaFontaine Oliver becomes the president and CEO of New York Public Radio early next month. WIPR has engaged Tom Livingston to serve as the interim president of your public radio corporation. Livingston has substantial experience in doing this very thing. He has served as the interim chief at several other public radio stations around the country. We are in good hands while our board of directors conducts a national search for a permanent president and CEO. I'm Tom Hall. Have a great day. You're listening to your NPR News Station, 88.1 WIPR.